This is J.J. Piccolo, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. They come from all corners of the world, and they descend on towns everywhere. Burlington, North Carolina, Idaho Falls, Idaho, Lexington, Kentucky, Wilmington, Delaware, Springdale, Arkansas, Papillion, Nebraska, and Kansas City, Missouri. What do all these men have in common? They work together to win. It's time to talk to another Royal on Clubhouse Conversation. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Royals fans, for giving us a listen on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players and executives. And second of all, it's July 3rd, 2015, so I do want to make sure that uh, I wish you and your family a happy and safe 4th of July weekend as you hopefully create lots of memories. Now, let's talk about busy people, because today's man that we're going to be talking to defines busy, if you look him up in the dictionary. A baseball man around this time of year, well, A, during the season, B, we just finished up the draft, but you had that going on, you have the trade deadline coming up, you have all the affiliates now playing for the Royals minor leagues and other teams uh, in MLB, of course. A guy who's as busy as anyone right now is a Major League Baseball scout, a Major League Baseball executive, any Major League Baseball coach. It's ridiculous right now. And J.J. Piccolo is definitely in that camp. You look up at busy in the dictionary, you see him. You see CPAs on April 14th. But J.J. Piccolo, nice enough to give us 30 minutes this morning on Clubhouse Conversation. I'm looking forward to a very interesting chat. He's, of course, in his ninth full season with the Royals. His second as the assistant general manager of scouting and player development. J.J. really is a fascinating guy. He came over to the Royals from the Atlanta Braves organization where he was director of minor league operations. Piccolo uh, caught professionally in the Yankees organization. Before that, played at NC State and George Mason, where Dayton Moore was one of his coaches. Knew Lonnie Goldberg, Ken Munoz, and all those guys way back when. I'm sure they had no clue they'd be working together someday for a first-class organization in Kansas City, but that's what they continued to do. And J.J. joins us from his hotel, actually, in Burlington, North Carolina, on Clubhouse Conversation. Very excited to have J.J. on, first of all. Thank you for all your time, and how's everything going with you, JJ? Going very well. Going very well. Just making my rounds through the minor leagues right now, and uh, got a lot of new players from this year's draft, and trying to get familiar with them, meet them, and watch them play for the first time. So, uh, busy time, but a fun time. Yeah, you're down in uh, in Burlington there. I saw it was pretty exciting with a combined no hitter for quite a bit there in Ash Russell's first debut. How how are the B Royals look so far? They're playing very well. They've, they've got a nice balance of young kids from Latin America, a couple high school kids, along with some college drafts from this year and players that were in uh, short season last year. They've just got a good balance to the team. They play aggressive. We have a first-year manager here uh, named Scott Thorman who's doing a tremendous job, and uh, they've been a fun bunch. Of course, they're 4-0 so far since I've been here, so there's not a lot to not like uh, when they're playing that well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're a guy, obviously, who goes to every single affiliate all the time. I mean, is there a, this is a tough question, is there a favorite minor league affiliate that you go to, like maybe a city or a park? Do you have a favorite one, or are they all equal? Uh, yeah, they're, they're all equal. I mean, our, our operators and our relationships with each of our affiliates is very good, and they, they all do a tremendous job in their own respect, and uh, we're fortunate to be in some of the best ballparks in the minor leagues, and I really don't have a, a favorite. If I had to pick one, the only reason would be my parents live outside of Philadelphia and Wilmington's close to Wilmington, so I get a chance to see them a couple times this summer. 
Absolutely. Well, we'll talk lots more about you and your background here in a couple minutes. But while we're on the topic of minor leagues, there's a lot of guys I want to ask you about. So, the, so in my opinion, I've been following the Royals minor league system for 20 plus years, and I think there's the most depth right now that there's ever been, especially with pitching. But there's also a lot of guys. You know, we got plenty of top 10, top 15 guys. A lot of guys that don't get a lot of love, that don't get a lot of props. So I wanted to ask you about a few of these guys. Uh, today. So let's start off at Omaha there. A guy who maybe doesn't have the strikeout numbers that some look at, but a guy that's been getting it done, especially this year, that blew me away the time I saw him throw, uh, is Matt Murray. Kind of talk a little bit about him. Well, Matt was a, a draft pick out of Georgia Southern a few years ago, and uh, you know we, we felt he was a closer at Georgia Southern, and we felt like he could be a starter just with the number of pitches that he had. Uh, unfortunately, he had some injury along the way and missed some time, but uh, we eventually got him back into a relief role. And as he started throwing the ball well in that relief role, we realized you know he could be a potential starter again and and, and certainly be a long man. Uh, he's a little bit different uh, than what we typically sign. He's a he's a true sinker baller. Um, he's really kind of perfected that over the last two seasons. His velocity has increased, and with the increase in velocity. Uh, we're seeing a lot more sync with his fastball, uh, extreme ground ball guy, uh, just a little bit different than what we typically have in our double-A AA and triple-A uh, staffs. But uh, Matt is taken to that role very well. Uh, he, he's at that point of his career where he's got to earn every inning he gets to pitch, and he's doing a tremendous job. And this recent move to triple-A, we thought it might be a, a temporary move, but um, he's pitched very well there, and the staff has grown to appreciate him. It's their first look at him. And uh, just fit in very nicely and just um, need to keep doing what he's doing. But, um, you know, very happy with his progress. A guy who's really shot up uh, this summer is up at Northwest Arkansas now. Talk a little bit about Cody Reed. Well, Cody, from the day we signed him, we knew he was uh, your typical uh, high-risk, high-reward guy, big body, big arm, left-handed. Uh, it was going to take a little bit of time, we thought, in developing and repeating his delivery. And last year he had some on-and-off stuff with it, with his with his elbow and shoulder, nothing ever real serious. But when a guy's in his first full season, we're very cautious with him. So he had a couple shutdowns during the year, and I don't think he ever really hit stride in repeating his delivery and repeating pitches. And this year uh, came into camp in great shape and really from day one, uh, showed the ability to repeat his delivery, and you know, I'd be lying if I told you I thought he'd be in Double A by the midway point. Uh, but from you know, really his first outing in April with the Blue Rocks, it was apparent that he was going to be somebody we're going to talk mid-year to move to Double A. And his transition so far with just one outing has been very good. Um, but he's tremendous upside. I think you know a little split camp on him in the long run, whether or not he'd be a starter or reliever. I think it's very easy to put a guy in a reliever role just because they throw hard. Um, but it's our job to try to give these guys every opportunity to start, and that's the category Cody's in right now, and he's taking advantage of it. Now, another guy in Arkansas that, to me, I mean, he's, he's injured right now, hasn't thrown much this year, but, I mean, last year especially kind of took off. Who, no one seems to know anything. Talk about the mysterious Glenn Sparkman. Well, he's a very interesting guy. He's not uh, not conventional in the sense that it's a, uh, a real traditional delivery. It's a very compact delivery with a lot of deception. So he's not gonna he's not gonna light up the radar gun. You're not gonna see 95, 96 out of him. But what you will see is a lot of swings and misses. 
and uh, really our scouting director, Lonnie Goldberg, as we broke spring training last year, he was the one who said, don't forget about Sparkman starting for us. And we all kind of said, oh, well, we'll see how it plays out. Well, sure enough, a month into the season, the opportunity came. We put Sparky in, the, in that role, and he pitched very well. Uh, he throws a curveball and a slider. He's developed a changeup. Uh, but in the end, he's just got that little bit of deception that's very difficult to teach, and and it's easier to identify through what the hitters are doing. Uh, but it's that little bit of deception separated him uh, certainly last year and the early part of this year. Um, so you know we'll continue to to look at him as a starter and you know, let him take the lead. Now down at Wilmington, quite a few guys who are having right, really great years and kind of revitalizing themselves. A strikeout per inning, ERA in the low twos. Talk a little bit about Alec Mills. Well, Alec, Alec really jumped on the scene right out in his draft year. Um, you know, not a top ten round pick. Uh, went out and had a tremendous summer. And the you know when you just grade out his pitches, he graded out very well. Uh, unfortunately, he hit a, hit a snag with having Tommy John. But of all the guys in about you know, 16 years I've been doing this now, all the guys that have had Tommy John, he's bounced back the quickest uh, of any of the pitchers I've ever dealt with. Uh, last year it was evident his fastball was back, but you know, more so his off-speed stuff, especially his curveball, uh, was back quicker than most guys who recovered from Tommy John. Uh, he took that last year went right into this year and and really has dominated the carolina league at this point and he's he's somebody that we're looking for opportunity or the opportunity to move him to double a because he's earned that at this point and um and i think that'll be the case before the end of the season now position player wise going down uh well actually one more guy here is alfredo escalera maldonado that i wanted to, uh, to ask you about here down there yeah. uh talk, he's i mean talk about a guy that's taken off as well yeah, Eski was a Eski was the year he was drafted. He was literally the the youngest player that signed that year out of the draft. He was a, had just turned 17 years old. Uh, top 10 round pick for us. It was going to be a, a test of patience with him because his body was going to need to fill out. He wasn't very strong when he first signed. Tremendous makeup guy. Uh, competes very well. Does all of his work uh, off the field. Very focused. Very intelligent. And I think what we're seeing really the second half of last year and then on into this year uh, was a guy who's becoming a man. You know, it's just a teenager who's becoming a man. He's a lot stronger now. He looks more like a, a corner outfielder than a center fielder at this point. But uh, So his bat's going to impact his you know, where he goes in the long term. Uh, but he's done a great job with the bat in, in Lexington. And now uh, after that all-star break, we promote him to Wilmington. He's off to a good start there. Yeah, and last two guys for you down at Lexington. Then the first one would be uh, Pedro Fernandez. Well, Pedro reminds us a lot of Kelvin Herrera. Uh, big arm, smaller guy, uh, tenacious on the mound, doesn't back down from hitters. Very aggressive. Uh, he, he's got a very good changeup, a lot like Kelvin. Uh, his, his slider is, you know, coming along. It's, it's kind of in between a curveball and a slider. I think eventually it's going to be a a harder slider, but his, his best two pitches, he'll run his fastball up to 97, uh, and then his changeup is a very good pitch. Um, hit a little snag this year where we had to skip a start or two, and now he's getting back with innings underneath him. And He's another one that I, I don't think it would be a surprise to us if he ends up in Wilmington by the end of the season, but uh, very similar to Kelvin. 
And the last guy then is a guy who's got 17 home runs, OPS in north of 820 right now. A guy who you guys kind of got in a steal, I thought, last year, Ryan O'Hearn. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's having a great year. Um, you know, interesting thing about Ryan, he hit he hit in a two-hole for the most part at Sam Houston State. And, you know, the college game is a lot different than the pro game. And, you know, again, Lonnie Goldberg's recommendation to our development staff was just let him hit. He's he's had to move runners and bunt a lot and do those types of things. But put him in the middle of the lineup, let him hit, because he's got very good power. And our Midwest supervisor, Greg Miller, uh, identified that in the fall of his draft year. Then he went out his, his, in the spring and didn't have a great spring, uh, but we didn't forget what we had saw, seen in the past. Uh, so we got him, I believe, in the ninth round. Uh, great competitor, great presence in the box. I mean, you kind of get a feel for that guy looks like a big leaguer, that guy looks like a big leaguer. He gives you that feel. Uh, very aggressive. Uh, you know, the one thing we're – you know, actively talking to him about is just cutting down his strikeouts. But, you know, right now he's putting up the big power numbers. I think he, he'll be able to, because he has good back control. I, I think when he focuses on a two-strike approach and, you know, with our urging, you know, we'll meet in the middle somewhere and he'll end up cutting down on those strikeouts because I think he's capable of being a, you know, a 280 type hitter in the major leagues with some power. So uh, just doing a great job. And he's a leader on that team. I mean, he, he's one of those guys who just, leads by example, so it's nice to have players like that in, in, in the organization. Yeah, it was cool that you were able to pick up his teammate Corey Toops in that same drive. It'll be interesting to see how he does when yeah. he gets up to the, the Carolina League, which seems to be death for hitters, so <laughs> that'll be an interesting... Yeah. Well, that's actually, in, in all honesty, I think that that's where he'll learn his two-strike approach, yeah. because it's a very difficult place to hit home runs, and to have success there, you have to shorten up your swing, and take what the pitchers give you, and that, that's where I think he'll really mature as a hitter. Yeah, I talk to guys all the time who played there or in the major leagues, and they always just say they shiver when they talk about the Carolina League trying to hit theirs. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so yeah. anyway, so let's go way back in the day for you then. Let's get to know more about you, because uh, I could talk prospects all day, but I want to know more about J.J. Piccolo. So um, before college, you grew up there in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So did you live in Cherry Hill your entire childhood then, and then how important was baseball to you growing up? Well, I actually, I grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, right at the end of elementary school, sixth grade, uh, we moved to Cherry Hill and uh, went through middle school and high school. But I was you know, an avid baseball fan as a kid. That's all I really wanted to do. I did, I did play basketball and, and football in, in high school, but baseball was really my passion. Um, was very fortunate to be around a lot of good baseball people, uh, really from Little League on. I had a great uh, Little League coach um, who understood the game, uh, made it enjoyable to come to the field, uh, was around in very good amateur programs. Uh, at that time, Cherry Hill had a, a run of Babe Ruth teams that went to the state finals and regionals and World Series. So I was always around good players and good coaches. And then in high school, uh, I, I really think I kind of came into my own as a player in high school, and my passion for the game and learning the game uh, was through my high school coach, Tom Trotman, who I remain in touch with to this day. Um, just a great baseball guy, fundamentals. He hadn't, didn't matter if you hit third or fourth. You had to know how to bunt. You had to know how to hit and run. You had to understand your swing. You had to understand the team game. 
Uh, so he was a great influence. I think even more so for my interest in the game after I was done playing, uh, because he was just a tremendous coach and a tremendous leader. And uh, one of them, well, we went to during my time in high school. We went to three state championships, mm-hmm. lost the first two, and won our senior year. And then he went on to win, I think, five more in a row after that. So he's a, a legend in the area, and I think all of us that play for him just have a great deal of respect for how he taught the game and, and his passion for the game. And uh, it's something you don't forget. So that's that's how I grew up. And, you know, again, a lot of times just being lucky, being around the right people. And I think I was one of those people. Yeah, you guys had the state group four championship in 1989. Six overall, I guess they went to rattled off in a row. Um, so you were a first team all state. You got drafted in the 16th round out of high school by the Reds. You chose not to attend and, or chose not to sign to go to N- NC State instead. So then you played there two years at NC State. Then you have elbow surgery and transferred to George Mason. You played for another legend there in Bill Brown. So now I'm assuming from how I understand things, in the summer you were playing with Ken Munoz and got to know him and he had a lot to do with you ending up at, uh, at George Mason. Is that kind of how it happened? That, that's exactly how it happened. Kenny and I played together in Little Falls, New York, actually the previous summer, not even the summer that I transferred. And to be very honest, I had a terrible summer. I had two RBIs in the summer and just did not hit at all. And I uh, was frustrated and didn't know what I was going to do. And you know, a year later, uh, I get a call. It was, it was right around this time. It was the beginning of July. I didn't know where I was transferring. Uh, Kenny Munoz gave me a call and said, hey, we just lost Chris Widger. Uh, who went on to have a, a very good major league career. Chris mm-hmm. and I grew up playing against each other. Oh, so okay. it's kind of coincidental that Chris ends up signing. They, they need a catcher. Uh, the next day, I drove down to George Mason. I really didn't even tell my parents where I was going. I met with Bill Brown and Dayton Moore. Um, found an apartment that night, signed my scholarship papers, and my life changed from that point on because I met my wife, Nicole, there. She ran track and uh, obviously met Dayton. Uh, played for Dayton for a couple of years, and um, it's, it just goes to show you never know where your opportunity is going to come from. Yeah, of course, Lonnie Goldberg was there and many others. But so getting back to Dayton, yep. so one of your coaches was Dayton, who was obviously a real good second baseman as well. And you guys had a nice little run there at George Mason on the field, winning there a couple of conference championships and such. But so, you know, we know Dayton now brings the high character guys into the Royals organization, great teammates. And I'm sure you heard from a lot of his former teammates. I mean, was Dayton the exact same kind of player? Was he just one of those, you know, I guess for a better term, balls to the wall baseball players and great teammates? Is that kind of what you yeah. heard? Yeah, Dayton's a, he's a tenacious competitor. He, he wants to win in the worst way. Um, you know, I didn't get a chance to play with him. Lonnie did for a year. Um, but just as an assistant coach, you know, Bill Brown was kind of the common force. He was the one that uh, you know, controlled the game, had a great approach to the game. He really, he, you know, looking back on it and not knowing enough about professional baseball at the time, he manages the game a lot like we ask our managers in the minor leagues to manage the game. Uh, but Dayton was the, he was the motivator. Uh, he was the one who really ran practices. Billy set it up and Dayton ran the practice. Uh, and he wanted nothing less than perfection. And he's the same way today as he was, as he was then. Um, you know, and I think our players, my teammates really respected that. And you didn't want to let Billy down and you didn't want to let Dayton down. And, uh, I think our front office, our scouts, you know, really have kind of the same feeling towards Dayton today. Um, but he was fun to play for. You knew you knew what to expect, and he was fun to play for. Yeah, Dayton was Coach Brown's first paid assistant, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah that that program. I think in 1983, if I'm not mistaken, Billy took over in '83. 
they had just gone from NAIA to Division One. Billy had a lot of he was a 23 year old head coach, had a lot of success early. Actually, had opportunity to move on to uh, I'm sorry, that was it was East Carolina with Hal Baird, who's a legend in coaching, and then mm-hmm. on to Auburn. When Hal went to Auburn, he asked Billy to come, but Billy was very comfortable where he was. Um, did a great job. He was going to regionals, and uh, you know, as he grew and won games, I think the program grew, and that's when the assistant coaches started to get paid. And, and Dayton happened to be right in that time frame. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people know that you did ultimately play professionally as a catcher in the Yankee system. We'll get more to that here in a second. But a little-known fact is not only were you drafted out of high school like we talked about by the Reds after your junior year as well of college, so 16th round the first time, 14th round in 93. Was it a tough decision to bypass those offers? Well, you know what? In, in high school, you know, the times are certainly different. The, the magic number at that time was $100,000. My parents were both school teachers, and we had agreed if I got $100,000, it was offered $100,000 that I would I would sign. And very late in the summer before I entered NC State, uh, they did get close to that, but we, we stuck to our number, and I went to, to college, um, had a good experience at NC State, and then when I transferred to George Mason, the scouting director for the Cincinnati Reds, who I had met with in high school, saw me playing the conference tournament, the CAA tournament, in '93. Uh, uh, drafted me again, and at that time, I had every intention to sign. Um, you know, <laughs> long story short, I was asking for the Reds to pay for my last year of, of college. Uh, I think negotiations are a little bit different today than they were then, and uh, Julian Mock said we're not going to do that, and. I stood on it for a couple of days, and eventually they started signing other catchers, and uh, you know the opportunity went away. So I, I chose not to take the, the the finances that they had offered at the time. And, and looking back on it, you know, to, at that time, you think twenty thousand dollars is a, is a lot of money, but and it is in a lot of respects. But you know, as far as your opportunity to play, I did have an opportunity to go catch in Billings, and I was going to be the primary catcher. And looking back, a little bit of regret that I didn't take advantage of that that year because I had had a solid year, and mentally I think I was ready for it. Um, but you know, it didn't work out. I went back for my senior year and fortunately got a chance to sign with the Yankees, uh, albeit a, a brief career. Um, it, was, it was still good, and I met a lot of good people that I'm still friends with today. Uh, from the Yankees organization. Now, had you grown up a Yankees fan, and then how did that offer come to be? Because they just signed you as a free agent, right? Yeah, and again, another you know, kind of small world in, in baseball, but um, Paul Falk, uh, who was the scout that signed me, uh, offered me a contract. I did not get drafted my senior year. Uh, Paul Falk offered me a contract. Paul was a scout with the Cincinnati Reds uh, prior to that. So okay. Paul knew me from... The Reds drafted me, so he gave me the opportunity to go play in the Yankee system. Uh, I was was not a Yankee fan. I grew up a Philadelphia Phillies fan, and uh, was really fortunate to see Mike Schmidt, Pete Rose, Steve Carlton, you know, all the great players, Bob Boone, Larry Boa, uh, and they had a, a great team uh, when I was in my childhood years going to a couple World Series. So I was a diehard Phillies fan, and you know, if you grow up in Philadelphia, you're not too much of a, a New York fan of of any sport. So <laughs> yeah, I was not a, a big Yankee fan. Well, that's well, that's a good thing. Royals fans like to hear that. So you played uh, the one right. season. Was it is it Oneonta? Is that how you say that? Oneonta, yeah. Oneonta. Okay. Yeah. So you played with yeah. a guy that Back you. Up. What's that? 
uh, just a backup catcher there. I think I had 13 at bats and one hit, so it was very, very short career. Well, you, you had a walk too. Can you? Well, first of all, can you remember who the hit was off of the pitcher? No, I don't. I just I know it was a single to over the second baseman's head. That's I couldn't tell you who the pitcher was. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, and then you also I, got... I bet you he didn't last too long though. <laughs> to give it to me. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, also a guy that you played with that summer is a guy now managing in Wilmington who finished up his playing career with Omaha as well. Talk about Brian Buchanan. Did you get to know him quite a bit back then? I did. We were roommates that year. He was from Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, we, we had played against each other. We would play UVA a couple times a year, but I didn't know him too well. Uh, but when I, when I went up to Oneana, uh, Brian was in a house and they had an extra extra room. So I I ended up uh, rooming with Brian and a few others that year and became good friends with him. Uh, of course, Brian was a first-round pick, and Brian's you know, six foot five, two hundred and thirty pounds, and I can always just remember everybody marveling at how fast he could run. I mean, he could really run. He was probably on our scale as a, almost a seventy runner at his size, and he has tremendous power. So he was that typical Yankee draft pick: speed and power, big and physical, uh, great teammate, uh, great leader. You know, ironically, at the end of his career, we signed him uh, with the Royals at the end of his playing career and kind of rekindled that relationship. Uh, along the way, I bumped, I would bump into his mother and father all the time in Fairfax uh, when I was coaching at, at George Mason and always kept tabs with Brian. Uh, but he had gone to Japan, played a few years, and then we needed a, a first baseman and kind of a veteran-type leader uh, in Omaha, and Brian was perfect for us, and that led uh, to the coaching career that he's now probably a, probably five or six years into it now. Yeah, last couple of years at Lexington and now Wilmington. It's great to see him up there. So I'm assuming the, the you were probably pretty injured playing. I mean, was it pretty easy for you to walk away at the end of that summer? Or was it pretty difficult? Yeah, you know, you, you kind of. I, I went through a few injuries in college. I, I had elbow surgery, which you know at the time they weren't doing a lot of Tommy Johns, but um, you know I, I would suspect it would have been a Tommy John surgery. Um, and it was that was fall of 1990, um, and then I, I still do bat, battle some back and back stuff. And you know, catching wise, it was difficult for me to play every day. And once you get into the minor leagues and you see how the minor leagues works, and you're playing every day, you start to see the writing on the wall, and you understand: or am I am I really going to be able to um, make my way to the major leagues? Um, I I technically I did not get uh, released. You know, I, Rob Thompson, who's the bench coach for the Yankees now, was our catching instructor and was was part of the staff all summer in Oneana, and I talked to him a lot about it. And he he really was trying to get me to stay and play. I, what I ended up doing that summer, I, Matt Drews was a first-round pick the previous year, and I, I ended up basically catching Matt whenever he pitched uh, towards the end of the summer. And I had a feel for the game, and I could call a decent game, and you know, did a solid job behind the plate. And Tom's really was encouraging me not to take advantage of a coaching opportunity I had at George Washington. But at the end of the summer, uh, I just felt like you know these opportunities to go coach they may not come along all that often. And I know where my career is going, and um, decided to go take advantage of the GW offer and. I was happy they did so and uh, completed my master's in my two two years there at, at GW. Yeah, two years GW, three years then at George Mason, and then another urban legend. So it's August of 1999. The, the story I get is that you went to a brave scout school. 
Um, and you kind of figured out at that point, this is my passion. I got to do this. So you called up your wife and you're like, this is, this is it. This is my career passion. Is that kind of how it happened at that point? Yeah, we were, she was eight months pregnant with our first, uh, first child and <laughs> East Carolina had offered me a position to uh, become the recruiting coordinator, associate head coach. Uh, I was fully ready to accept that position and Dayton called, uh, just coincidence said, Hey, we may have opportunity to get into scouting. He and I had talked about it previously. Um, I said, you know, I'm about to take this job at East Carolina. I don't know if the timing's good. And he, he, he said, hey, just come down to this scout school. It's, it's a 10-day program. Uh, see if you like it. And within two days of going through some classroom things and, and watching games in the Gulf Coast League, it, it was very evident uh, to me that this is something I would really enjoy. And uh, I didn't know where the, the coaching carousel was going to have me land, but uh, I know that's a difficult path. Um, I'd only done it for five years and had some good opportunities along the way, but I felt like there was more growth and it was more dealing with just baseball. And I think that that's really what uh, fueled my fire and, and my passion became scouting very quickly. And I really enjoyed the scouting end of it. Yeah, you did that for Atlanta until 2005. So then you get named director of minor league operations for the Braves. But going back to your scouting days, you always hear about long road trips, You know, going weeks at a time without seeing a guy you might draft, and lonely times away from your family. I mean, think back to those days when you're just driving around. You know, what do you remember most about that part of your life? Well, for one, I think it's a lot like players in the minor leagues. You got to love it. You know, it's 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 a it's a different type of lifestyle. Uh, you're away from home a lot. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the, the the thrill of the chase. You know, who, who's a major leaguer? And I was around some very good scouting people, and Paul Snyder and, and Dayton and uh, Roy Clark was our scouting director. And they always told us, hey, every day you walk in the ballpark, your job is to find out who the major leaguer is. And it might not even be the guy that, that you're there to see. But if you go in with an open mind, you may figure out who the big leaguer is. And that's really what I... <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I, you know, it didn't matter. If I, to me, it didn't matter if uh, the player I went to see didn't play well. Uh, that was part of the job. And, and in the end, you know, people would always tell me, other scouts, hey, you'll get frustrated if you don't get a guy taken out of your area. But my approach was simply my job is to report on the players that are in my area, and their job is to select the players because they certainly know more about what's going on around the country than I do. Uh, so I was not going to take it personally. Uh, if I didn't have a player selected out of my area, and um, you know that that particular year, that was the spring of 2000, and I was in the Mid Atlantic uh, area, and there was a lot, and I still believe it's the most guys taken in the top five rounds uh, out of that area in any one year. So I had a, my scouting director was in a lot, my regional supervisors were in a lot, so I got a chance to learn and grow quite a bit. Uh, being in the car with those gentlemen uh, for that whole that whole spring, and um, you know, looking back on it, I think you know if that if that year was a little bit different, I don't know if I would have been given the opportunities I've been given in the game. But fortunately, I did get to spend the time with them. They did get to know me a little bit more, and you know, I think like anything else, the more you're around people, you you know what their their upside may be. And I was just fortunate; my territory was very good that year. Who did you guys sign out of there from that year? Any any guys that ended up having big careers? Well, one of our well out of my area, we we did take two guys: Aaron Hur, who's Tommy Hur's son, 
mm-hmm. uh, was selected, and uh, a guy named Bubba Nelson mm-hmm. out of Riverdale Baptist High School in Maryland were taken out of my area, and they, I think they were both in the top 64 picks. So I got <laughs> I was very lucky wow. in that respect. Uh, but one of our manager here in Burlington right now, Scott Foreman, was taking that draft. He was a first-rounder out of Canada. Uh, so we've had a long relationship. We were actually going through it yesterday. I remember seeing him in the Gulf Coast League his first summer, and uh, he was just a big, strong kid. They had no idea how to play, and eventually became a big leaguer. And Adam Wainwright was the big one out of that draft. Wainwright was taken in the first round. We had a lot of picks that year. And Adam Wainwright was taken out of that draft, and obviously he's going on to be a star in the big leagues. Yeah, I guess Mike Farrell was the guy this year, right? He had both the the two Indianapolis kids, but also Anderson Miller. So I mean, he had a nice little, nice he had little a good summer. year. Yeah, I believe when all told, I think he had seven guys taken out of his area. <laughs> wow, that might be a once in a lifetime summer, right, for a scout? Yeah, Bro? yeah, it's very very unusual. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, he was prepared and uh, just fell fell his way. Yeah. Well, last two questions for you, and I appreciate all your time today. Uh, you joined the Royals as director of player development then, eight thirteen of 06, and actually seven years ago today, you were named an assistant GM, seven three of 08. So, I mean, when you think back to 06, how exciting was it when Dayton offered you the job and coming over to KC? Well, I, I was anxious for it. Um, you know, you, we, we have a very good relationship, and I, I think I knew that Ultimately, uh, he was going to have the opportunity to bring some people over with him uh, from from Atlanta, uh, and we really kind of just—he had already been there for two months, and he kind of gave me a heads up of what we were uh, dealing with as far as the depth of our farm system. Some things that we may need to address uh, were pretty simple in our approach. We we believe in discipline, high character. Um, there were things that we were going to have to. Uh, address through the minor leagues and kind of went on a crash course for those next two weeks. Went and spent two days at every affiliate just to see the stadiums, meet the coaches. You know, really can't learn the players that quickly, but um, at least to shake their hand and get a feel for them. But it was an exciting time. Uh, I think at the end of 07, we really had a much better feel for how far away are we from uh, being a competitive major league team and how deep is our system. Um, so it was an exciting time. It was uh, very, um, uh, what's the best way to say it? It was, uh, it, it, it was very, it was in depth. I mean, it was nonstop every day, evaluate, make decisions, because at the time we're trying to get settled with our staff. We're trying to figure out what players need to be at what levels the following year. Uh, so it was very time consuming as well, uh, and, and brain consuming. So, uh, but looking back on it, it was at the time we said it was it's going to be the greatest challenge in all in all of sports, uh, dealing with a small market club that has a long way to go. And and um, looking back at it now, I think it makes us feel pretty good. Uh, not not necessarily just because we got to the World Series last year, but we think the organization is in much better shape today than, than it was at that time. I agree. I mean, like I told you earlier, I mean, maybe there aren't some of these superstars at the top three or five right now that we've had some of the years, but there's more depth right now, I believe, than there's ever been in the organization stacked up, you know, top to bottom in the minor leagues. And so last question for you then, when you look back at, at last year, so there's all the special moments. There's clinching in Chicago, and there's, you know, the big you know, coming back after the All-Star break, and there's the wild card game, et cetera, et cetera. For you personally, so you've been through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of frustration, a lot of happiness, just a lot of work, a lot of growing as a family. If there's one moment last year that you really just embraced, or maybe one moment now that you'd like to think back to the most from last year, what would that be? Well, it's, it's very hard 
to not say the wild card game. Um, you know, I I think that that night in Chicago when we got to the playoffs was was a it was a high. I mean, it was really really wow. We we did it. We got in the playoffs. But going down that stretch, we kind of knew we got a very unless we really really don't play well these last ten days, we're going to get in. So so you know, it kind of I don't want to say a foregone conclusion because it wasn't. Uh, but that was exciting. And then that wild card game, uh, looking back, because not only the comeback, but how it launched us into the coming months. Um, the, the energy, the the passion that we saw from our fans. I think even that Monday night football game rolling right into Tuesday nights. That 48-hour period was, was really just a lot of anticipation and then disappointment through the first you know, two-thirds of the game, and then all of a sudden here we come and you wake up and you're in Game 7 of the World Series a month <laughs> later. So I think that wild-card game will always stand out as uh, probably the most memorable game. I can't, I can't imagine another game being more memorable than that uh, when my career is all said and done. Yeah, and I'm sure you know living here all the time, and you, your your family and yourself seeing just the complete culture change and the excitement for the Royals had to be pretty cool walking around town too, right? Well, I'd say give you a quick story. Um, you know, we we got eliminated uh, two days before Halloween, and, and and we were on the road with the team, and you know you, you definitely got to feel all those shots you saw back at Power and Light District, and you know around town you certainly got a feel for it but uh two days after we lost game seven and we were you know down you know very down that we didn't win that game but uh walking around halloween night with my kids and and uh bumping into my neighbors actually my neighbors had set up our cul-de-sac with all blue lights and go royal sign but walking around and talking to the neighbors people i hadn't seen in a couple months and just the things that they said about our organization, how it brought their family together, their kids are Royals fans. That's that's really when it hit home with me, the, the impact of what had just happened. And that was something that Dayton said from the very beginning. A lot like in Atlanta, it was a football state, football area. The Braves turned around, made it a baseball area, and that's what he wanted to do in Kansas City. And that was the first time I thought, you know what, we're, we're kind of doing that right now. And it's it's really been... Uh, impactful in my life and my family's life and my kids' lives. So uh, it's been enjoyable. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to hopefully many more years. Hopefully it's just the start of that. And we're, you know, we're very lucky to have you still in the organization. And I know Dayton appreciates you, and we all appreciate you, the guys that we have here. So thanks for all your, for your continued hard work and for all that you do. And hopefully we can uh, stay in touch and, and catch up again down the road. Okay, Dave. Enjoyed being on the, on the air. Absolutely. Travel safe, man. Take care and go Royals. Thank you.